read a story with you real quick. And our staff, we believe in leadership development. We believe a healthy leader is a healthy church. And so we've been reading a book called Replenish. And um, I'm going to backtrack some chapters. And I want to read something to you. So just ho'olohe, ho'omaukaukau. It says that the Apostle Paul said, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Notice the words, Christ, who is your life, meaning Jesus is my life. He is the center of my universe. Everything revolves around my relationship with Jesus. My whole life has been surrendered to him as my king and as my Lord. I was, uh, and he goes on and says this, I was crystal clear about this when I went into ministry as a young man. But there certainly have been seasons through the years when I lost that clarity. My ministry became my identity. My ministry became my first love. My ministry consumed all my spiritual passion. My ministry, not Jesus, was my life. The unintended byproduct during those, years, those seasons was a slow disconnect with Jesus. Listen to me. He says this. He ends it out this way. He says, when this happens, you can begin to do ministry in the flesh. You can begin to think. I think serving God is all about working hard, being strategic developing leaders and executing vision, you fundamentally begin to believe that it's up to you. How many of you are guilty this morning that you think it's about ministry? That you think it's about doing stuff for God? Listen to me real clear. I know I'm young, but as a pastor for 17 years and watching my father pastor, there's a clear jaded experience in the church today and it's thinking that we are called to do stuff for God. Why? Because we live in a society that, that we, are, we are intended to feel on the American dream entitled to everything. How can people deserve, how can people get salvation if they feel like they deserve salvation? That, that's why the church in America is falling because people think they deserve Jesus. They deserve a relationship with Christ. Now, now if you're from a church background, you kind of understand where I'm coming from. If you're not, all right, we, we pray that God's spirit would overwhelm you with theology today, proper theology. Because listen to me, I've done it all. All the ministries you can think of. When I was 18 years old in Sin City, Las Vegas, all right, this Kanaka, right? Yeah, I thought... When God rescued me, then it's time to go. It's time to do some stuff for him. I have some talents. I have some abilities. And I want to make Christ known. And nothing's wrong with that. But it's like a car without fuel. If there is no fuel, it can't go. If there's no fuel, if there's no intimacy with the Lord, you cannot go. That's why we'll live Christmas season in an Anglo mentality. This is what Christmas is about. In all reality, the heart of the core of Christmas is that you get to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Brah, that is, that is awesome right there. That's what we call Hawaiians, ono, yeah? That's good stuff right there. That we get to meet with a holy, righteous God. 
That God in his sovereign grace has chosen before the foundations of the earth to captivate us by his glory through his son. That's what it's all about. It's, it's more than just a cute little baby in a manger. That baby grows up. 100% man, 100% God in the flesh. He dwelled among us, and then we get this glorious season to point people to not ministry, but to intimacy. Here's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion says this is what you have to do to obtain a relationship with God. Christianity is the opposite. This is what God had to do in order for you to be a, have a relationship with him. That's the gospel. That should be preached every Sunday. You may say, man, I know that. But does the people next to you know that? Does the nations of the earth know that? Does the pastor down the street know that? That his call to Jesus is not ministry. His call to Jesus is intimacy. And I believe when we figure that out, everything else is the overflow. As a pastor who strategically plans all week, who has hours upon hours with meetings, how do you think I feel when I come into a service and our projector is not working the way it works? You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to get over ministry. It is what it is. And you know what book saved my life? John Piper's Brothers, We Aren't Professionals. All right? That will change your life right there, Okay. It is what it is. You want to be a part of a church that doesn't have, all, doesn't have it all together. Why? Because that is the church that will grow together. That's the joy of the fallen nature, that, that we have this fallen nature to look for our desperate need for Christ, for the Lord. And so we're moving on in our series to the Gospel of Mark, where we're a church like that. We're not doing any Christmas series. We're just doing verse-by-verse -verse book studies to the Gospel of Mark. Next week, we're landing on the Sabbath, right, for Christmas Sunday. Praise the Lord. Amen, right? How, how, does, how, does, how does Christmas line up with the Sabbath? We, we don't do, where, how does the Bible line up with culture? We, we're not that kind of church. We hold a high value to the Scriptures, and so we arrive at the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 2, and we're calling this a, a life of ministry. A life of ministry. We're going to read through the life of Jesus and what that looks like, continuing his life from intimacy to ministry. And I want you to see in these few words how Mark proclaims the gospel of Jesus. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's excellent word? Starting in verse 18. Jesus is among some crazy folk. We call him, all right, in Hawaiian terms, Haimaka Maka, all right? We call them in the south, y'all, whatever, all right? I was just blaming you guys too. So here we go. It goes on and it says, Now John's disciples, John the Baptist specifically, and the Pharisees were what? Say it louder like you're here. Right on. And people came and said to him, why do John the Baptist's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on the old garment. If he does... The patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old what? Wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst 
the skins, and the wine is what? Destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wine skin. God, give us new wine this morning. Living breath of God. Fill us with your spirit. We don't need a motivational speech, God. Got plenty out there doing that. We need a fresh word from you, God. Even if that means convicting our hearts, pricking what does not look like you, and conforming to what needs to be like you. So, God, we love you. We thank you for intimacy. Thank you. You've called us to a relationship such as intimacy. We love you. And God's Ohana says, Amen. Noho ilalo. You may be seated. Last week, I said a clear statement. And William James says this, that the, the great use of a life is to spend it for something that would outlast it. What will your life represent? Because the stats is that everyone in this room will be forget, forgotten about after three generations. So how will we spend our time, our energies, and our resources in, a, in, in this lifetime? Knowing that we're going to be forgetting about three generations from now. God himself in the scriptures was forgotten about in the Old Testament three generations prior to. So this is not just a secular stat. This is also a Christian, a theological stat. Many of us will not be remembered after the third generation. So how will we spend our life? And I hope the answer is that, for, is that we are preparing for eternity. We are preparing our lives for eternity, our, our, our marriage, our family, our communities. We're preparing, we're preparing them for eternity. Yesterday, we had an all-star football game practice yesterday, and we got to introduce ourselves. We got to share my testimony there right there at Pond Evel Park. And one of the things I enjoyed about these new guys is they're excited. Seventh, eighth graders, they're going to come up high school at our level, and they know, they know where the where the state champions or the previous state champions are at the high school level is where we coach at. And so they're so excited that there's a joy and an awe to be around each other. It's the best players on the east side getting together and showing their stuff. And I think we forget about that same excite excitement for the gospel, right? Like, like, like there is an excitement here in Hilo. Can I get a witness, right? Like I, I grew up here. Um, there was a lot in the 80s and 90s. There was a lot of hakaka between churches. Some of that still exists, but there is a joy where God, the gospel is is going beyond denominational lines, right? Um, God is is bringing Pentecostal and Baptist, and they're becoming like. Baptocostals, I don't know. God is doing something crazy and unique in this time. And, and that's what I want you to see. I want you to see that Jesus, when he came in, when we see him in this text, he is reaching all people. We see a glorious response of the gospel, and he's articulating what ministry looks like out of intimacy. So out of our text, there's a couple things, and we're going to be pauhana. Number one, we see Jesus came to bring happiness, not mourning. Can I get a witness out there? All of you, all, all two of you are happy, right, this morning, right? Can I get a witness out there, right? Listen to me. If you're coming into this church thinking there's going to be a somber, always somber, quiet morning, you, you're at the wrong church. We allow church over here, all right? We like the music loud. We like the preaching loud. We like the talking loud. I mean, I can even hear our youth girls talking when we're meeting for the production meeting in the back. That's, we love it that way. We love chaos in this room. We love the cakeys crying. We love the aunties and the uncles saying, shh, shh, and they louder than the cakeys, you know what I'm saying? And we, we, we love all that. This is not, look, this is not one of those churches where we got it all figured out, okay? This is one of those churches that there's got, somebody who got it figured out, and we're looking to him to figure it out for us. 
Like, like that is the joy. Look at me. If all you see is flaws and you can't move with those flaws, you may be a Pharisee today. No, no, I'm not condoning flaws. I'm all about holiness. I'm all about righteousness. I'm all about that. But listen to me. We got to understand that God has come specifically to turn our mourning into happiness. The word happiness in the Greek is the word makarios. It's the word we get joy from, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. It describes as a, the most beautiful place you've ever hanged out. You know, we live in Hawaii, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I have said before, Hawaii is not the most beautiful place I've been. I know you think I'm a heathen by saying that, right? It's not. There's a place in southern Italy called Sorrento, all right? Oh my goodness, all right? This is like goals, guys. Hashtag goals for your marriage, all right? Over here. If you get a chance to go to Sorrento, Italy, you will exactly know what I'm talking about. But it's, it, it, when I saw that, it brought happiness. It brought joy. How much more does that joy bring to our life when we're walking with Jesus? Like, like, it's not hard to devote yourself to the church. It's not hard to devote yourself. Because why? Because you're happy. You're, you're joyful. Like you want to be a part of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not just, I'm just, I'm not just saying this church. I'm saying the church at large, the kingdom of God. Like, like when I go on planes, it, it bothers me how sometimes we start talking about God and, and like we can't go beyond, oh, you go to that church and that church. Right? No, we can go beyond that. We go, why? Because that's what God has given us. God has given us a joy, a happiness to live in community together. White, red, black, whatever that is. And what we see in this text is a clear picture of Jesus articulating this kind of joy, this kind of happiness. Look at the verse. It says, and Jesus said to them, right, after, he, after they questioned why they weren't fasting like them, right, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests Fast when the bridegroom is with them. Now, you know, if, if you're not bright like me, I don't really understand parables. Yeah, you know, I'm one of those brothers growing up. Hawaiian, just tell me straight up, like our Hawaiian pigeon style, what you mean? All right, like, like, like this is hard for me to understand. This is called a parable in the scriptures. It's an illustrated story. And whenever Jesus does an illustrated story, number one, he's primarily talking about himself. And number two, he's talking about you. So he says, can the wedding guests, all right, fast while the bride, who's the bridegroom you think now? Jesus. Who's the wedding guest? Us, right? Can, can they fast while they're together? Listen to me. It's a celebrate right now. It is not a morning party. It's not a, nothing's dead. Nothing's dead. Nothing smells dead. Everything is alive, man. And look at this. He says, as long as... They have the bridegroom with them. They cannot fast. This brings me to a specific, clear theological understanding for January. You ready? Fasting is not to lose weight, guys. Fasting is for sorrow, for mourning. But here's the wedding feast, y'all. It's time to get jacked up, paina time, party, and shout glory today. I mean, that's what is happening. It's, it's a reason to smile today. Now, now, now if you're caught up because of my, the way I stand and my passion, I'm sorry. It's just who I am, all right? I'm dying to find my heart. The goal into this text is to show you that Jesus provides a celebrate, and we didn't get in on it. 
He needs, to, he needs to provide a substitute. Jesus is addressing a proper response to the occasion. What is the occasion? Brother Levi just got saved. All right? The casual is not mourning. The casual, you ready? Is a celebration. I mean, brought a man, just got saved, Levi, also known as Matthew, this tax collector, this heathen, this Jew by birth, but like, like literally an outcast, and one who stabs his own culture in the back, just got saved because he met Jesus, and it's time to celebrate, guys. Time to celebrate. Look at this. The Pharisees did not like what was happening. So they did what any person would do when their personal life is filled with jealousy, hate, or simply their life is just boring. You see what they did? Look, look at the text. They became joy thieves. Uh, I had a youth leader in my early years of youth ministry. I won't say his name, but he was what we call our kupuna of the group, right? The older brother, all right? And he was military, and he made a statement because all the kids was kolohe. You guys know those kids. You know, somehow kids aren't kolohe or something. Like kids, they're acting kolohe, these teenagers, these opio. And this is what he said. And they all respected him because he was scary and he had a black, black belt in karate, right? So everybody's scared, whatever the case is. He would yell out loud to 40 of these youths and he said, I am going to suck the fun out of today if you don't shape up. Right? You know what everybody does? Laugh, right? Because they're not taking him serious and all that. But he does. He unplugs the bass amp. He unplugs the guitar. He does all this. Like, man, you guys better understand. And he goes, like, he was, because things aren't going his way, right? He was a joy thief. And he would repent. He would apologize and all that. But there's two specific ways we see what we call these church leaders, these Pharisees, on how they stole joy. Number one, they added in traditional means. They were, they were a fasting means. So, so they used fasting as a gateway to condemn what Jesus was doing. It says the text that while John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, Jesus and his crew had a party. You know? So they weren't, they weren't because they were having fun and they weren't, weren't having fun, they were the joy suckers of the day, right? They, 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 they used fasting. And... I thought this was interesting. In fact, the only fast that was an annual fast mentioned in the Old Testament and New Testament was the Day of Atonement. There was no other fast. The atonement is the two goats, right? That when they would bring it into the temple or near the temple, one of the goats were, was picked to be released free, and one of them was picked to be sacrificed, right? Those were the only times in, in, in Jewish culture when they required a fast from the Lord, then after the, uh, the, after the coming, the, when, the kid, when the Israel came back from oppression and from Babylon, all right, they instituted three more fasting. Now, it wasn't directly from God, but it was a unique festival to just honor God anyway because God took them out of captivity. Does that make sense? But the only law we see in the Old Testament and practice in the New Testament of fasting was the week of atonement or the day of atonement. But listen to me. Do you think Jesus did not know this? Do you think he's not clueless of this? And so they use tradition as a means to steal joy. Number two, they use legalism. All right, there's legalism in church today. I, I, I fall short of that most times, and I ask God to continue to use me in this area. There's also another term we call linearism, which means to be too lenient, 
right? Doesn't grace heal everything and all that? And so what we want to do, we want to have a balance of the gospel, but they use legalism. So the Pharisees were basically saying, Jesus, if you were so spiritual, why do you not make your followers live up to your own high religious standard? Listen to me. If you've been in an older church like I have, this is no different from this church today. I'm telling you, I pastored a 150-year-old church in Tennessee, the only Hawaiian in this county, all right? Well, not today. Get married older. Yeah, no. So here you go. <laughs> he more famous. Eh? God bless him. Anyway, at this church, one of the strongholds we had was on prejudice, racism, segregation. Our church was 99% Haole, all white. I was the only brown scholar or some kind of skin, different skin color there. And I was on staff. The first, second associate pastor since the 1930s or something like that, full time. And then we started reaching the city kids. Now, when I say city kids, eh, they did not look like 99% of our church. Hispanic, Asian, yes, a lot of Asian now in the South. Um, Popolo, black, and all that, you know. And, and uh, they started coming to know Jesus. And I kid you not, one of the leaders of the church cornered me and my senior pastor and said, you may not think this is right, but I think we need to have a youth group for the city kids and a youth group for our church kids. I knew right there and then what we were doing was right. But number two, how can I restore this brother to the gospel? Right, you guys know our heart. We came back home five years ago to plan Ohana Church. Our main priority was to, to share the gospel with the Hawaiians, the minority right now today, but the majority that not in church on Sunday mornings, whatever the case is. And so it's our heart to reach the people of the Aina, the land. And, and you know, if you look around, you know, it, it, it has come up to the people that we see today, very diverse culture, multicultural, multi-generational, five years later. It's, it's Christmas season. For some reason, people don't come to church during Christmas season in this culture. We're figuring it out, all right? It's the reality. But the, the reality is this. Look at it. The gospel is a party for the peoples of the earth to come together. I mean, this banquet feast we see is great. And if we allow tradition and legalism to creep into this church, specifically to the leaders, and the leaders bow to it, this church would be like every other fallen church in Revelation. We would fall. We would fall. That's why you would come in our church, and you wouldn't hear a Christian music sometime. You would hear a local radio music because it's clean music, but it's the people of the music. And we're not saying that we're, just, we're trying to forsake the gospel. I can promise you, every one of you watch movies and songs, and, and you think you're not going to bring it in church. The reality is like, we're going to sing worship songs. I, I got you this. But we're also going to provide a contextual presence of the gospel in Hilo, Hawaii. Now, that, that may be tough, even for my dad, an older generation. I mean, he was KJV only back in the day. Praise God for my daddy, right? I mean, he was the one at Four Miles Beach Park, you know, preaching down heaven to all the cousins and sinners over there, right? You know, and that's the reality. The generations change, but the word of God never changes. We stay true to the word of God. Jesus' response is clear. He describes himself as being the bridegroom. It's a party time. Daniel Aiken says it this way. A relationship with Jesus is not solemn, a boring affair. 
It is a celebration and a spiritual banquet of joy and blessing. How many agree with that, right? There's joy in that. J.D. Greer says it this way. We need to develop a clear distinction between religious change and gospel change. All right? Religious meaning what you do for God, okay? Gospel meaning what God's done through you, in you and through you. He says God doesn't want more religious conformity. Amen? He wants our love. He wants our tendency in religious circles to fill our lives to the brim with religious activities. For the most part, these activities in themselves are what? Good. God-honoring pursuits. The reality, however, is that habitual Christianity may be the number one killer of the joy-filled life Christ has offered us. So here's a good question for us is, we are trying to earn God's love and affection, or are we living in the joy of God's love that's been declared over us in the gospel? Religion changes you externally by adding things to your life. Gospel-centered change is not about giving you a list of things you need to go and do for God, but making you stand in all of what he has done for you. That's the difference. If you want to see people in need of Jesus, go to social media after church today. They are looking for approval from every angle and every corner. I am guilty of that. That's why there's times I don't have to post for weeks because sometimes I feel like I am saying something that I'm looking approval for. A like here, a like there. A, you know, you can do all different kind of likes now today, right? And that's the reality. We're looking for approval. And in all reality, God does not approve sin. God approves his son, the Savior, who frees us and rests us from our sin and your response today is not just simply to play church on Sunday but to come into the family of God and give all your heart to the Lord Jesus that is your opportunity today will you do that will you be someone who surrenders to the Lord Jesus because that's the shift from mourning into joy right and I want you to see this verse 20 he says this the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then that will be the time they can fast. What is he talking about? Well, we say clear understanding that for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, he's talking about his death. There will be a time where he inherits his death. He does what God has called him to finally do. The Gospel of John calls it the, as the hour has come. This is what he will express to the followers. So this is Jesus edifying the, the, the body, saying, man, let's party till then. Let's party till then. And then we know what happens after that, right? God's glorious presence. And so Jesus is connecting fasting with sorrow. So I want you to see a biblical meaning. When Daniel fasted, it was because of sorrow. Why? Because they were in captivity. When Jesus fasted in the wilderness, it was sorrow. Why? Because he came to a fallen earth that needed him. Daniel Aiken said again that, that fast and mourning, when we consider what our sins cost us, becomes true fasting. Here's a biblical truth, and we'll move on. Fasting is not primarily about making us better beings. Fasting is how we reveal our sorrow to the Lord because we are desperate for him. Are you desperate for him today? I know we all have different expectations, we come to church and we say, man, I wonder what kind of songs they're going to sing today. I wonder what kind of message is going to be together today, right? Here's my hopes. 
My hope is that you would understand that we are sorrowful people in need of a Savior. We need true joy, not joy that is manipulated by an emotional instrument, right? Or, or joy that is manipulated by an emotional gift, but true joy that comes from Christ that is eternal and forever. Therefore, we end with our second truth. Jesus came to make things fresh, not preserve the old. You do know you will be old and you will die and the new will come in, right? We are all living examples of that. Jesus uses the two parables to articulate the new to the old. And in verse 21, it says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. Second parable, he says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for if it does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. I want you to see, any time you continue to do the old things and you're trying to expect change in your life, it's insanity. It does not work. The religious rulers were jaded by the traditions which led their carnal hearts. They were so concerned about Jesus' followers not fasting that the true, listen to me, the true question should have been directed to them saying this, why didn't you, that you yourselves feast and celebrate in the presence of the Messiah? Are you with me today? The, the, the true question is not whether or not they're fasting. The true question is, why aren't you hanging at the feet of Jesus? You've been waiting for years and centuries, exactly 700 years to experience the Messiah. And then you neglect the very person you've all been waiting for. Right? What are you looking for this morning? Are you looking for mysticism? You ain't going to get that here. Are you looking for legalism? We're not going to go there. Are you looking for syncretism? Mixing religions together? We're not going to go there. Or are you looking for Jesus? What are you, are you looking for Jesus? Let, let me fix some things. Carl Marcus and I was talking about, I was watching a video and I think we're going to adopt it too. I get it. Not everybody believed the same thing in this church. Theologically. I understand that. And that's every church I've been to, every church at Plaza. So, so the, the words that we want to adopt, is not that this is what we believe. We want to adopt a new phrase saying, this is what we teach. And give some grace and mercy for those who aren't on that page yet, right? To lovingly walk through, through the word of God. That is a true family. Listen to me. That is real love. There's a reason why you believe what you believe. And that's valuable. Whether I think it's right or wrong. It's valuable. So listen to me. Here's up. What we teach is our joy to love you to the beauty of Christ. That's our heart. The heart is not just simply to come to church, get wild up, all this stuff for the sake of getting wild up, and then we get out and we get wild up in the world, right? No, our, our joy is to be patient with you, right? And see that what Jesus, when Jesus comes, he changes the old and he makes them new. And that's a process for some of us. Some, some of us can have quick conversions like Paul the apostle. That's not most people that I see today. It's a process, but God does the work. I want you to see what Judaism looks like in this text, right? This was the time for Judaism to give way to Christianity in this text. 
but they didn't. For Jesus is the answer to the Hebrew faith. He is the fulfillment of the Hebrew faith. Apart from Christ, all, Judaism, all Ju- the Jewish belief is, is a moral compass of what needs to be done apart from God. But listen to me. Jesus makes Judaism faith brand new in his finished work through this text. He said, look at it. You've been looking for the Messiah for 700 years. I am him. I am here. Isaiah 9 preaches it this way, a Christmas passage. He says, for unto us a what? child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called what wonderful counselor help me out mighty god help me out everlasting father and prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will, say these words with, to, with me, do this. What God says, he does. And here's the joy. Here's the joy of it. We get to be a part of that. The text is talking about Jesus. The problem was that the Jewish religious sect was looking for a wrong Messiah. You know who they were looking for? Someone like King Saul, sword in his hand, a helmet, a breastplate, all that stuff. He's looking for Samson. He's looking for this humanistic superhero that we all look up to in DC and, and Marvel Comics, right? And all that. But this hero would be a little different. This hero would give up his life. He wouldn't take life. He would give up his life so that you may have life. And as as we look at this, here's a beautiful understanding that God has not come just to condemn the world, because we know the world is already condemned, but he came to save the world, to free the world from their sin. And so I want to end today with just two life applications, and we'll be followed. Very simple message. Life application number one, we must address false religion like an old garment and throw it away. Listen to me. We must address false religion like an old garment and throw it away. This must start in the homes. What is in your house that is revealing legalism and not Christ? Throw it away. Life application number two. We must remember that false religion is like old wine skin. It cannot, listen to me, it cannot contain new Life. You see, here's the problem. The problem in America specifically is that we've been ravished by the prosperity gospel. And I'm not against prosperity, but I am against a preacher that would say that your healing is not coming to pass because you don't have enough faith. If you're lining up in that, then you put salvation on you. Salvation is not because you've given yourself salvation. Number two, the prosperity gospel jades you in your resources. That God wants everybody to be rich. Can I ask you, can I tell you something simply? Apart from Matthew, the tax collector, we don't see much rich disciples. 
In fact, we know that Matthew left, he leaves his job for the cause of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be rich. I'm not saying that you should be poor. What I'm saying that you should have a relationship with Jesus. If the gospel, if today, if all I preach is what you got to do, then I've screwed up the message of the gospel. But let me give you some grace today. It comes from the Lord. This message of grace is free for you, for me, for us. But it costs God everything. You heard me? This message of grace for you and me, for us in this room, for those who have received the Lord Jesus, is completely free. Meaning we don't have to do anything. That's a reason to celebrate, amen? But it costs God everything. His son. You may not understand the totality of that. But this world today that's fallen was created through Jesus. And mankind in their will and responsibility chose to sin against something that was so honor. God. Not just a thing, but a person. Where are you today? Do you know Jesus? Not as an extended relationship, but an intimate relationship. Let's not wait till Christmas for a response to the gospel. Let's receive Jesus today. And remember, he always turns our mourning into joy. The psalmist used the term dancing, right? Now, Baptist churches, I preach that, they don't dance, right? So not, they're not being entirely exegetical, right? right? Oh, we dance at Ohana Church. Can I get a witness over here, yeah? I mean, when we go to weddings, banquets, and all that, we're going to paina. Can I get a witness here, right? So where are they from, Ohana Church? Really? They dance? Hallelujah, we dance. Kahiku kind too, you like. You like kahiku. We get them all kind. I want all kind of dance you like, you know? Because listen to me. When someone falls madly in love with somebody, you can't help but express that love. May we express our love. Are you guys getting scared? Oh, we're going to dance. Watch out. Some of you guys that don't dance. No. We're going to express our love to the, to the Lord. So here's our response today. Give up your religion for a genuine relationship with the Lord. Number two, share what's going on in your heart with someone. Simple. Not filling out cards, not raising hands. It's on you and the Lord. And if, if it's truly grace, it is what it is. What goes in you must come out of you. True grace. May the word of our Father and the praise of your testimony to the Lord Jesus be an opportunity to lift the name of Jesus higher. And nothing else matters. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we end our time together? God, we love you. And God, we pray, God, that you would be oh so sweet in this time. If there's anybody in here that don't know you, Lord, ravish their hearts with your glory.
convince them that you are good, you're holy, you're righteous, and you desire for them to come in fellowship with you. We love you, God. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?